Hello and welcome to the Bliss Tonic Podcast. You are here in the right place. If you want to learn how to use yogic philosophy to embrace and enjoy your time as a human on planet Earth with less judgment and more authenticity. You just get to be who you are. And I am your host, Michelle Anthony, yoga educator and amateur circus performer. Let's dive into this week's episode. excited to have you on today. Thank you, Michelle. It's so great to be here. Thank you for asking me. So do you want to guide us through a little centering practice before we get started with the episode? Yes, let's absolutely do that. So everybody, thank you for listening. And I'd like to get you all centered. Why don't you take a comfortable seat wherever you are, even if you're in a chair or laying on your bed, sit up for a second and get in a position where your spine is tall. So if that means you need to take a moment to find a pillow or something to rest against just so that your body can feel comfortable in that position, please do that. And then as soon as you're able to get to that seat, take a moment and just observe your surroundings. You can look around and see what's around you. What are the colors? What are the shapes? Maybe there's some people there with you. Maybe you're by yourself. Maybe you're outdoors or indoors. That's what time of day it is. And then start to bring your senses back into the space that you occupy. And go ahead, and if it's comfortable for you, you can close your eyes, or you can keep them softly open, but just downward looking. And then start to bring attention to your natural, normal breath. So this is actually the hardest breath to observe. So as soon as you start to look at your breath, you want to change it. So right now, I'm just asking you to try to be the observer of your breath. What is your breath doing? What is the the thing that we carry with us from the moment we're born to the moment we die? What is it doing right now? So there's three parts of the breath I want you to observe. First, look at the rhythm of your breath. As you breathe in and breathe out, notice if you can see what part of the breath seems longer than the other. It's very possible that you might have an naturally longer exhale or naturally longer inhale. And also start to sense if there's any smoothness or roughness in the breath. Does it kind of move at the smooth pace and all of a sudden get a little bit jagged and then move back to the smoothness? How does it feel when we move from the exhale into the inhale and vice versa? And also notice if you have any pauses at the end of your breath. Maybe you pause a little bit at the end of your exhale or the end of the inhale. Now the second thing I want you to observe is any sound in your breath. Now start to use your inner sense of hearing to listen. As you breathe in and out, Now here, does the breath have a sound on the inhale, a sound on the exhale, 
any part of the breath. Is it a sound you're creating? Or is it a sound that's happening as a result <clears throat> of your breathing? Maybe there's a sound in your nose or your throat or even in your chest or lungs. If you do have any sound with the breath, is it a pleasant sound, a drying sound, a sticky sound? Does it have uh, any kind of residual effect? Is it keeping the breath from flowing naturally or is it improving the breath? And then finally, the third part of the breath to observe is the feeling or the sensation of the breath. This one is actually the hardest one to observe. So just take a moment and as you follow your breath coming in and out, what is the emotional quality, the feeling with it? If you were to give it a name, what would it be? So for me, it's easier to sense that at the end of the breath. The exhale meets the inhale or the inhale meets the exhale. It might be something like fatigue or sadness or irritability, joy. Kind of a combo. You can discern what is the feeling or emotion of the breath. And then if you're able to identify that feeling or emotion, ask yourself, is this something I want to build and expand or something I want to change? And this is partly how we help create our intention for the day. So if you start your day with this practice, you can say, all right, now I want to bring in a sense of courage. Or a sense of peace, a sense of joy, or just a sense of ease. And as you point yourself in that direction, now start to have an intention around your breath to make it more round and full. Now start to actually move the breath. So inhale fully and exhale fully. And just take the next minute or so to smooth out the breath. So now we've observed it, we've taken in that information, and now we're going to change it. So imagine that your breath making this complete circle. The first half of the breath, the inhale coming in, makes one half of the circle. The exhale smoothly moves into the other half. And as you inhale and exhale, the breath gets rounder, smoother, starts to feel more fluid. And there's a rhythm starts to develop that your mind enjoys. And with that, too, also bring the feeling you're trying to cultivate, either expanding on the feeling that you already have, or if you decided to change your intention, start to point your mind in that direction, allowing the breath to cycle that emotion through all of your cells, that your body wakes up to that feeling or emotion. And just continuing for the next few seconds here, feeling that one-to-one, even balanced breath. And what you'll notice is if you continue this or come back to it at different parts of the day, is that your mind comes closer to balance. Instead of wandering off or getting caught up in the story or that story or this emotion or that emotion, it brings you back to home, brings you back to center, and allows you to recommit to what you stand for, for what you wish to see in your life. Helps you gain control over the mind by using the breath as a wheel to help turn the mind in that direction.
And just notice how you feel right now. Any changes to your breath, to your mind, and also to your body. And we'll start to bring ourselves out of the centering practice. You can take the palms of your hands, and if they're available, you can rub them vigorously together, creating some heat or friction in the center of the palms. And then take the palms and place them over the eyes and feel the heat go in and soothe your sense of sight. Take the palms over the ears, feeling that heat go in and soothe your sense of hearing. Place your palms around the sides of the neck, feeling the sense of heat nurture your voice and your communication. And then finally rest your hands over your heart center and feel the warmth connect to that intention once again. It helps guide you throughout the day with that positive state of mind. Then you can blink your eyes open and return. All right, good morning. Good morning. Oh, I absolutely adore you. As soon as you started talking, my just had this huge smile on my face. It was like, oh, I feel better. <laughs> good. I'm glad. We all need this. I feel like, and I know before we started recording, I was talking about the, the coffee jitters of like rushing to get here on time and it ended up working out perfect to take a little extra time to, to center before we started recording. Good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. So, Good. yeah. So I am uh, so grateful that, you know, you came into my life through yoga teacher training. I did my 340-hour uh, training with you at Damanati Yoga in uh, Minneapolis. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about, you know, what you are currently doing and then maybe a little bit about how you, how did you first get into yoga? How did you get started with all of this? How did you find uh, Rod Stryker all those years ago. Just love to hear about your entire um, path, however deep you want to go into it. Up to you. All right. Well, thanks, Michelle. Um, so, again, I'm Tanya Boyganzan, and um, you know, I'm a full-time yoga, yogi and wellness educator. I mean, that's when people ask me, what do you do? Um, th that's what I say. And so many years ago, when I found these teachings and I realized it was the one thing that I had always felt in my heart that was true for me. And then I learned that, oh my gosh, these actually practices and teachings and people that I can you know, be around to help me expand this. I just was all in. And it felt like something solidified in me that there was this yearning and this aching to be a part of something bigger. And so the work that I do today is an expression of that intention from from years ago. Uh, and the intention was something along the lines of, you know, my my commitment in this lifetime is to continue to study and learn and develop myself and then to share these teachings with as many people as possible in the kind and loving way. So um, <clears throat> today what I do right now <laughs> Um, there's a lot of different things I do, but one of the big, bigger things I do right now, the roles I play is I do own and direct a yoga school that's based in Minneapolis, although it doesn't necessarily just only live there. And it's called Devanati School of Yoga and Wellness. And we are a yoga school. We're not a studio. Um, I have had that model in the past, but it was really clear to me when I started this particular part of my career that I wanted it to focus on higher education, deeper study. Um, immersions and taking 
students and seekers and yogis and people who are interested in you know healing and wellness um, to a deeper level. Um, so we don't run day-to-day classes per se, and we leave that to all the other great businesses in our local community to run those day-to-day classes, and we often partner or do different kinds of collaboration. Um, especially if they don't have a school, we can help support that, and, and we also send uh, students that are seeking classes in their direction. So it's a nice symbiosis. So our main um, offerings are yoga teacher training. We do a 200-hour program and an advanced 300-hour program. And our Nova Alliance approved. Um, we're also a licensed school of Minnesota, so that means that we're operating legally within the state. Um, we also run a bunch of other different kinds of programs. So uh, about almost 20 years ago, I started doing this work full-time, and I knew I didn't want to teach 20 classes of yoga a week. I knew I wanted to have a diversification, and I was just interested in a lot of things. So I would just invest in myself. I studied uh, Thai massage or Thai yoga body work. I studied Reiki, healing touch. These are types of energy work, Qigong, um, Ayurveda, and yoga therapy. And over the years, I developed myself. I've seen clients one-on-one and eventually became you know, certified and then eventually a teacher in these different systems. And so those are other programs we run at Devanati. For example, the Thai yoga body work program I've been running since 2003. And I've had lots of students go through that. Um, and it's a really unique program, especially in America. There's very few teachers who actually lead a full certification program, and that's something I've been doing for years, and it's super fun. It's a, it's, you know, it plays along nicely with the yoga, but it's a different way to offer that kind of skill set to another person using, you know, basically body work, energy work, acupressure, and assisted yoga postures for people. And it's um one of the other things I love to do. Um, and then we do energy work training, Reiki programs, and other associated things like that to help learn the study of energy medicine. And the other big thing we do with Ivanati is we bring in awesome guests. You know, we have uh, regular people that come in every year and bring their expertise to our um, community and invite other, you know, other people in too, of course. Anybody can come. People like Rob Stryker. Um, Indu Aurora, who's one of my main teachers, she actually moved to Minneapolis and lives here now, and she does a whole bunch of other cool trainings that are along the lines of Ayurveda and yoga therapy and deepening practice. We just hosted Gary Craftsow. We also host Judith Lasseter. She'll be coming um, next year in 2021, and various other guests, too. And then we do retreats, and that's something I'm passionate about. I've been a lifelong traveler, and um, right now is not the greatest time to travel with the quarantine, but um, I really look forward to the future when we can get back, hopefully on an airplane and visit foreign lands. I feel safe about doing that, but um, that's been such a bonus to collaborate, travel with, um, healing our beautiful places. And other than that, what I'm doing now too is I'm also, you know, I have employees, I have um, lots of students, and I'm also supporting a lot of these teachers, especially with coronavirus situation. We've had to move a lot of things to virtual, and so making sure those things keep running and smoothing them out and you know, calming people's fears around all that change. I've found that I've, I've spent less time teaching in the last few months and more time um, holding space and, and helping people feel steady. I've had to be that rock. 
And that's, I think, an important part of when we talk more about Tantra later. Um, I'll be happy to share with you guys some of the tools I use so that I can show up in that way. Because I believe I've been watching, how am I doing this? How am I not getting shaken? Um, and it's, it's, it's actually because of all the things that I've been studying and learning over the years. Um, the last piece is I also travel and teach a lot too. That's something I love to do, as I mentioned. So I go to different places, uh, different studios, schools, uh, venues, different countries, and I teach um, a lot of things. I teach back in Minneapolis, but on the road. I'm going to be in Spain next month and in Germany the month after that, but we talked on the phone yesterday and we're like, okay, what are we going to do about this? We don't know yet. It's just hard to know. There's a lot of unknowns and living in the question and and we're going to be okay with that. And until something becomes clear, then we're just waiting and seeing what's developing as a result of that. So that's a little bit about me. I have a 13-year-old son. He's uh, on spring break this week, so we're trying to get outside and throw the ball. We went back throughout a couple of the lakes in Minneapolis uh, a couple of days ago. It looks nice out today. And um, I think that's about it. So, yeah, feel free to ask me more about that. But yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely getting outside has been uh, such a relief and a uh, help to maintain a sense of, like, calm throughout all this. And I think maybe there is, you know, the stay-at-home message is being drilled really hard, but really it's it's about social distancing, not – we are not allowed to go outside. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting because when I was talking to um, my host in Spain yesterday, they actually cannot go outside. And they were just like, yeah, if we go outside, there's police patrolling the streets. It's, it's a serious lockdown. And we were talking about how in America we really value our freedom so much. Like he told us to stay indoors and not leave. It's like, you know, you can't just tell somebody to do that. You have to take that in steps, you know. Um, and if you live in a place that's really congested with people, that stuff does make a lot more sense. So if you do have the, the luxury of being able to go outside and not be around people, then that's, I mean, you're blessed to be able to have that action. I love that perspective. So, uh, how did you get introduced to Tantra specifically? Um, you know, what was your introduction to that and what was that like for you? <clears throat> Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I've always been a mystic and spiritual. And I think growing up Catholic with all the rituals and the saints and all that stuff, I was really, you know, into that stuff. But a lot of things that resonate for me as well, like, why don't women have any power? And why do I have to talk to this man to have my sins forgiven? And maybe there's some listeners out there that that's their path. And that's great. I just... I just thought, well, you know, there's this is getting me somewhere, but there's got to be something more that feels more aligned with me, that there aren't these holes to the, to the divine, that there's no middleman, you know? <laughs> and so um, I not very many people know this, but there was a point in my teenage years where I thought, well, maybe I'll go be a nun, then I can go be spiritual all the time. But that was just what I was exposed to. I didn't know that there was, you know, I knew there were other spiritual paths, but I guess I'm more spiritual than religious, let's put it that way. So I 
started meditating when I was 15. It was actually my youth director at church said, you know, I can see you're troubled by your mind. Why don't you know, we got together and she walked me through this process of watching my thoughts. You know, just really simple. I'm witnessing thoughts meditation, which is kind of the first thing you do when you start to really be serious about meditating. You learn that you're not your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. And who is the person? Who is the thing? Who is that being or that soul that's watching? And as soon as she walked me through that, I was 15, and it just snapped. Oh, my God. I am okay. I am always okay. But these thoughts, there's a part of me that feels cut off or afraid or fearful. And uh, that just that just ignited something in me that woke up, uh, I guess, some deeper seeker to find more about, about that. And so, you know, my worldview, I think I was born with, is, that there is this unified field, that we're all one. You know, we can say these things, but then to have a sense of really feeling that, that's what I yearn for. And so many people that I encounter in my, you know, career, whether it's other um, teachers or other students, is there's some part of us that knows that that is something we can experience, but we just need a path to get there. So that's what I thought. So... Uh, as I got into yoga, um, it's ironic that I started practicing lots of traditional asana practices, Iyengar yoga, um, Ashtanga yoga, um, even Bikram yoga. I did that for a couple of years, but it's just too damn hot for me. I kept getting a headache and I have a lot of fire, so it wasn't the best environment, but um, at least I have some experience with that, so I know what that's like. And so I was doing these kind of classical yoga systems, but what I was interested in, what I was reading all about, what was I was experiencing my meditations was something much more non-dual, something where there was this continuity, this bigger frame of reference, this sense of oneness. And I started to notice that I became less reactive, which is actually one of the things the yoga sutras say is as you develop your sense of steadiness, you start to be less reactive and you have more staying power in that place of a calm, clear, tranquil state of mind. So, but there wasn't a really a framework. I hadn't found really the right set of teachings or teacher at that point. Not that that was bad or good. It just hadn't developed into that yet. <clears throat> so I was, I actually got some injuries <clears throat> in the early 2000s where I was doing a lot of Ashtanga yoga and teaching that. And I started you know, having hypermobility, just the same practice over and over. My joints got overstretched started popping my shoulder out, getting knee pain, <clears throat> some back pain. And I would try to change up my practice, but I didn't really know what to do per se. Um, and so interestingly enough, I started sitting with Dharma Mitra, who lives in New York, and he's a you know, master of all these asanas, but he's also very sattvic. And he helped guide me towards this meditation state again that I'd kind of lost where my body was just too active after practicing Ashtanga and he brought the joy and the fun back into practice for me and I feel like that was such a great prep because in the next year then um, we brought Red Striker to town with my friend Juliet Alden she's been a long time student of his and like hey let's, let's host him and so where I was teaching it at the time we collaborated and brought him in and I'd heard from other people and once you start studying with Rod it's like you don't need any other teachers so I was like all right this is perfect timing now, I do have other teachers, but Rod is definitely one of my main teachers and probably will always be um, such a rock in my life and also somebody who <clears throat> has really showed up for me and like take it, help develop me to that next level. 
uh, it helped me a really good mirror so I could see where I can grow. So I met him and, um, and that's it. I was like, yes, let's go. And so I just started to study with him in, in deeper context, doing multiple trainings a year and getting my certification and all that logistics stuff. But the bigger thing was, is what he presented was kind of a union. And what he's so skilled at doing is taking a variety of things that we often learn in pieces you know, some yoga here and maybe a little meditation here, a little philosophy here, but he does it all together. And so you get these really rich, you know, teachings, a lot of them in a short period of time. And then some experiences that help kind of open yourself up. And then you got to go work on yourself. You know, that's just the beginning. You got to go do that practice for, you know, four or five, six months and start to own those teachings yourself. That was great for me. I felt like my whole life prepared me for that. I was super into it. I felt joy that um, there was a pathway. And, you know, Rod is part of a lineage that I'm a part of, too. And we, you know, we take what we learn from our teachers, and we also take in our own experience. And so he's just one teacher of many. I also study with Pandit Rajmani Toganayat, who's Rod's main teacher. And both he and I got introduced to Panaji the same way. We were reading Yoga International magazine when it was still a magazine. And we were reading his column called Inner Quest. And um, this is so funny. He just mentioned this when Rod was uh, doing his virtual workshop at Devanati a couple of weeks ago, how he met Hanaji was through this this magazine. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's my story, too. <laughs> so I text him. I'm like, oh, my God, me, too. <laughs> so um, we both had read Hanaji's column in this magazine. And I just remember thinking, this is back when I lived in Portland, Oregon. I was like, I need to meet this man. The way he describes things, it's so clear. I, these are things I've read about before, but I didn't understand. I have to study with him. So some years later, that's, that manifested. You know, Rod brought energy. I got to study with him, and I still do to this day. So that's just opened up this whole world. Um, and Rod is just a great teacher. And really, he goes by Yoga Rupa. So I should call him that, Yoga Rupa Rod Striker. Um, he has this wonderful way of bringing in things that are really esoteric for Westerners. You know, we don't come into the world knowing about the five elements or Sankhya philosophy or even just that the possibility of something being non-dual. What does that even mean? You know, most of the religious and spiritual traditions and worldviews are very dualistic. You know, here's God and here's you and there's nothing in between besides that. And here's these power roles. And yet in the East, there's many different worldviews and it's understood that you are wired up particular way to see reality and you're going to resonate with a different worldview so practice that for a while and develop yourself and then when you're able to see more then you can go to this worldview and start working with that so it understands there's a progression and so one of the things that yoga rupa does is he takes these teachings that we would call say tantra um, and weaves them into the teachings of yoga and then he brings in some Vedanta. And then we also have this other context called Sri Vidya, which is a really elevated state of non-dualistic study and practice. <clears throat> but Tantra is what we're going to talk about today because that's the one that's the most practical and approachable and most meaningful, I think, for people today is to start to look at the world through the eyes of Tantra, saying, hey, you know, really that it's all one fabric. It's all woven together. You know, the entire universe is woven into this beautiful tapestry. You know, where do I fit in? How can I feel a part of it? How do I not feel alone in this? 
um, how do I make this fabric more beautiful? Am I making it less beautiful? I'm starting to see your purpose in in the reality of life by feeling the con- continuity in life. Um, so as I started getting into those teachings, you know, <clears throat> I'm a voracious student. I'll just keep going. I'll keep learning and studying. <clears throat> and um, some years later, too, I hosted at Devanati uh, one of my very first guest teachers, whose name is Indu Aurora, and she's um, a native Indian. Well, that sounds American Indian, but from India, who moved to the United States, and I hosted her. And now, you know, she's a huge part of Devanati, and she's just an amazing teacher who brings this feminine quality to these same teachings and also rounds it out with yoga therapy and Ayurveda. Um, so really, I think of these two as, you know, kind of like my yoga mother and my yoga father of that people in my life that help me um, do what I need to do. But it's so great that we collaborate. We get to work together. You know, I get to support them so they can reach more people. They also help infuse, you know, that fire within me so I can keep developing myself as a teacher and as, you know, let's face it, a mom, (laughs) a girlfriend, a daughter, a person in the world, not just, you know, somebody who owns a yoga business. And at the end of the day, that's the most important part because if you're teaching something but you're not living by those things that you teach, you develop this, you know, conflict within yourself and then at some point you're going to have to deal with it. And I actually feel really aligned. I feel really in a place where I can honor these teachings and step into those roles and I don't have that conflict. I mean, definitely in some times in my life I have, but I've had to look at it and then I've been able to have tools to work through that. <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna hand the mic back to you, Michelle. Yeah. And clear myself. <laughs> yeah, I love that, and I feel like that's such a big part of what my practice has been. Even since um, I took the 300 hour with you in 2015 to 16, and it has just been a journey of you know making myself a better human, and you know it's a, a continual process. But I feel like that is a part of the foundation of tantra is that it is about you know you, yes, and your spirit, but it, you're also a human, and if it's not carried over into all of the things that you do in this world, then, you know, is the practice serving you? Can you talk a little bit more about then maybe what is Tantra and a little bit more of that, the worldview um, as a whole? Sure. So let me first be clear, like, from some of you listeners, the word Tantra might inspire images of people having passionate sex for hours at a time <laughs> that's what <laughs> is often connoted in the west and it's actually a newer connotation because i remember i mean i actually remember reading this this was an article i think it was rolling stone magazine did this article with sting you know just from the police <laughs> actually oh my gosh i have my police shirt on today that's so funny um <laughs> he uh he was interviewed and you know he's a yogi he's been doing ashtanga yoga forever and you know he they were asking him about his practice. This is back in the 90s. He's like, well, yeah, I use it. I mean, I'm not very spiritual, but man, I'm a better performer when I do this practice. I'm more energy. I'm, I can sing longer. I have more clarity. I'm more focused. Like for sure, yoga, asana mainly has helped him with his life. And then his wife, Trudy, she's a big yogi too, but she's more interested in the spiritual benefits and all this stuff too. But one thing he did say is, you know, well, we practice tantric sex, which is 
well, basically it got dumbed it down to this, you know, we'd practice sex for a long time and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and that's not necessarily bad to thing. It's just it created a connotation that it's so, uh, it's just really not what it is, you know. So so I, I have to be really careful with the word Tantra. And in fact, when I started to do and I would call these classes, you know, Tantra Katha Yoga, I had a guy call us once saying, well, can I just show up or do, are you going to pair me with somebody or do I need to bring somebody? And we're like, oh no, God, no. <laughs> no, this is a tantric yoga system where you're going to go into your own self and expand yourself. And I did, you know, and it, I knew putting that word out there meant I needed to also be ready to handle those questions or even judgment and be ready to educate people. And so I was prepared for that, but I was, it just self made, made me smile. Like, you know, but it also just shows you too, if you Google Tantra today, most of it's going to be about like these experts who teach you about basically intimacy in, in the sexual union, which is great. But Tantra as a worldview is so much more. And so as a teacher of it, that's part of one of the things that motivates me to teach more people is like, Hey, here's this wonderful worldview. Don't get caught up in the sensuality of this thing. This is a whole thing to help you feel more continuity in life, to feel more power in the goodness of who you are, to take hold of the control of the spin that we often find ourselves in and change, take all that energy that's wrapped up in these non-helpful things and shift it into something else. And that's really what it is. Tantra is a study of that, a study of energy and energy management. And from the most biggest worldview, it can be applied to you know, the macrocosm, the outside world, and, you know, ancient people who practice this were more talking, you know, they were more interested in keeping um, energy flowing for, like, abundance and crops and for peace within, you know, uh, communities and things like that. And in today's world, you can use Tantra for the war within to help you um, access, again, if you sit, here's a perfect example. coronavirus is raising everybody's fears up, you know, fear of lack, fear of resources, fear of uh, power, fear of other people, you know, just so many fears. And you can be overpowered and just flattened into a, you know, pancake in just seconds if you really go into that stuff. But there's a ton of energy in that. What if you grab that energy and you pull it out and you put it towards something positive, towards like helping other people or helping yourself? Or finding stability or uh, peace or joy in the little things or something else that, you know, as you start to recognize that what you see is basically based on all of your past actions. So what if you start to change the trajectory of what happens today so that you see something different tomorrow? So Tantra is really a science of looking at how did I get to where I am today? I don't like that. How can I change it by shifting my energy into from the patterns that are become a part of me into other patterns that are maybe more helpful or more useful. And it really is a study. You have to be willing to be able to practice that detachment and also be willing to have some faith that you can have a different path. And that's the main thing that um, I think it's people caught up as they, they get comfortable being unhappy and they're afraid of feeling worse. So they get stuck there. But Tantra tries to give you practices that create a different wind or a different energy so that you get unstuck and then you have more ease um, and perhaps more faith 
as you shift and go into a new place that will hopefully be more uplifting and more supportive. That's the goal. If you're doing the right practice, you for sure will feel less suffering. Absolutely. So that's why there's always a tradition that follows is, you know, for somebody to sit down and create their own practice, a lot of times you just won't have the eyes to see what you really need because we tend to be stuck in our own grooves. And so that's why Tantra is usually meant to be a teacher-student, like a, a tradition where you pass on the teachings from one to another, where the teacher who's done the practices can look at the student and say, yes, this is where you're struggling, but I also see this too. So let's have you do this practice and help guide and shape that person and also be, you know, a force of grounding for that person as they shift. Because anytime you change, it can create fear or lack of faith or doubt. Uh, or even anger. <laughs> and so to have a teacher present is important because it's somebody to mirror back what you're doing, thinking, feeling, and also just to be bear witness to those changes and say, no, you can do this. It's okay to change. It's okay to feel uncomfortable sometimes, but you're going to feel better as you move through this. And I'm standing here as a witness to you creating those positive changes. And, you know, go forward and find that peace. You can do it. Hmm. What else was there in the question? Yeah, I um, I think you covered some of the um, the the basics of the tantric worldview of non dualism, the that continuity and the ability to study yourself with a sense of detachment. I think that is really important because sometimes mm-hmm. when we start to look at ourselves and our habits, we notice a sense of uh, guilt or shame arise. And I feel like right. in a lot of ways that creates, um, or people are afraid of that, um, creating like now I'm aware and I'm aware that I'm stuck <laughs> and I feel yeah. bad that I'm stuck and so what would you say to somebody maybe who feels like throughout this whole um, quarantine and everything going on, somebody who maybe is like, okay, cool, I had some time in quarantine to just do whatever I wanted and now I feel bad about that or mm. you know what I mean? Like what would you say mm-hmm. to somebody who now sees clearly and wants something different but, you know, just getting over that hump and into uh, detachment and into some of these practices? Hmm. That's such a great question. I think that is like one of the most important questions for us to look at right now is uh, even for me, I remember thinking, okay, we're going into quarantine and that means I'm cooking all my meals and it gives me time to be more at home. And, you know, ironically, I've been wanting more time at home because I am so busy with my work and now I got it. So I remember feeling this fear of, oh my God, what if I don't get to do those things I really wanted to do and I come out of this without feeling that rest that I know can be a part of this. So that was exactly what I needed to look at is what do I need to stop now so I don't continue those habits in this new space and and do it kind of a personal inventory. And kind of like what you were saying, Michelle, is sometimes when we do those inventories, we see things that we don't want to look at or maybe there's uh, things that come up that we didn't even realize are a part of who we are. And there might be a lot of fears. And the other thing that I think is really a struggle is just um, overwhelming sadness. You know, when you start to look at the things that um, start to rise up when you get time, you know, to reflect, you, there can be this overwhelming feeling of, oh, my God, 
been carrying this for so long. Poor, you know, why have I done this? I feel so bad. And it's this heavy sadness, this grief of having certain habits, lifestyle uh, choices, attitudes, beliefs. And when you start to see them that like, oh my God, I could be so free, but I've been carrying this burden for so long. So some people, they'll block it out and then just go under the covers again because they don't want to look at it. And so it's going to take a little bit of friction or heat. You know, this is one of the key things in the yoga tradition is anything, if you want to change, you're going to have to start to make friends with fire. Not the kind of burning fire, but the kind of fire that melts, that helps us develop the quality of surrender. The, the fire that shows up for us that illuminates our hearts and our minds and teaches us that, you know, sometimes you're going to feel a little worse for a while. But if you stay focused on the light, you know, that stuff will burn away. And I mean, I can't even tell you how many students have come into my world that they find these teachings and these practices later in life, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, like, oh my God, if I had these teachings when I was younger, I could have had a totally different life. But usually paired with that is, I'm so glad I found them now, I can live the rest of my life free from a lot of these things that I was really stuck in. So it needs to be kind of a sense that that letting go piece again of, you know, but here I am today, and now today I can make a different decision. Today, right now, I can choose something different, or at least I can see the difference. You know, for a lot of people, making the actual physical changes in the world, that might be harder, but if at least you can discern it and see it, at some point you might be able to develop that desire more to actually make the change. So that's still a sign of growth. And I just want to quote the Bhagavad Gita here, one of the you know most the, the most important spiritual texts that comes out of you know, in India and is a beloved text in the yoga tradition, it basically says this, that anything that you do in your own self-effort to grow will never be wasted. It doesn't matter. Even if you just think of something positive or point yourself in the positive direction with that intention in mind, you will still move forward. And something I'll quote from one of my teachers, Panaji, he says, the time that you stop caring about your growth when you give up is when you start to age. So that can be when you're 20, 40, 60, or 80. But as soon as you just give up and you stop trying to be a better person, that's when the clock starts really ticking. And you're going to see yourself, you know, start to disintegrate. You'll see changes, you know, quickly. But the more you stay positive that even though you may not see a lot of shift or change right now, but if you just keep yourself focused, you know, point your compass towards that goal, you're going to have more energy, more positivity, and ideally just a better experience as you move in that direction. Yeah, I love so that. I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, you can talk. So in a way, too, I think what you said is it, pointing to reframing the way you look at that friction. So if you're seeing that part of yourself that maybe is undesirable or you know is taking you in the – I don't want to say wrong direction, but where you don't want to go, reframing it as just this awareness of, wow, without this friction of discomfort, I would never know that I'm not on mm -hmm. the right path. And, right. and, you know, based on what you just said from these quotes that, you know, even just a, that awareness is mm -hmm. helpful on your path because it's the first right. step. Yep. Yeah, and that's it. that's it. You have to be able to see. So this is the, you know, in Tantra, one of the surprise 
uh, you know, intentions is called Viveka, Viveka Shakti, the power of clear seeing. And this is something that we, you know, we aim for. Like, how do you know? That's probably one of the biggest questions I get too as a teacher is how do I know what voice in my head is the right one? You know, because I'm hearing all these voices. And you don't always know. You don't. So sometimes you got to take a step forward and usually life will tell you right away if you're on the right path or not. Hopefully you're not too far forward that you don't have to, you know, go through too much to find your center again. But, you know, you have to be willing to take action and test out what that clear voice is, but still keep developing it. And, you know, there's other things in these practices, like starting to pay attention to your signals in your body, to your breath. Like when things really ring true, what's happening in you? How do you, can you start to trust that your body, heart, and mind are all connected. And so, like, for me, you know, yesterday I was talking to um, uh, these hosts in Spain that I'm supposed to go teach at in May, and, you know, nothing was hitting me in that intuitive spot. So that just was a tell or sign to me, well, we're not supposed to decide right now. So we're going to wait till next week. And so that's how I run my life. And for years, that's been the compass is if something doesn't feel right, if I push it, it usually, you know, it can still happen, but it usually takes a lot more energy and it's often very painful. <laughs> you know, and there's a time and place to really push it. But um, even that can be intuitive. Like, yes, go for it now. It's going to be kind of harder, but you can do it versus trying to make something happen that the universe, you know, the alignment of things isn't really supporting right now. It can be a lot more challenging and, and wear you out when you really need that energy for other things that are much more accessible and you know americans we're very um you know we are spoiled in the sense that we want something we get it you know and we're all dealing with that attachment right now is oh i want something i go to the grocery store to buy oh i want something i want something to cook for me i go to this restaurant oh i you know now we've had to take ownership again of how we access things especially cooking like i'm cooking so much more in my kitchen now all my meals and somebody who serves a lot of other people day to day, I like to go out to eat because somebody can serve me and I can just show up and you know, relax. So I've, that's one of the things that I've had to look at is like, all right, well, I'm going to need to start cooking more. And I actually really love to do it, but I have to have the energy to do it. So that's where this downtime of not running around and doing so many things, I have the energy to do it now and I'm loving it. And it's really nourishing me and it's allowing me to feel at home in in the situation where I'm getting, I'm getting benefits out of this time in quarantine. But if I hadn't been able to see that, that would have created friction. Like, how am I going to get food? I don't want to cook. Um, I had to have an attitude adjustment. But I knew that I wanted to cook. I just needed to get there. Does that make sense? hundred percent. I'm with you in regards to that as well. Because sometimes, and this is just, you know, the pre-quarantine is like, assessment of how was I carrying all of those things? Like literally, why did I need to have six jobs? Um, (laughs) you know, and then I'm like down to, down to nothing. And I'm like, oh yeah, that I, I, it all makes perfect sense. And what you're saying with, with developing that clear seeing and intuition, I remember 
when I was starting my aerial studio and I was actually taking a Reiki master training and it was a time when I was deciding, you know, how I was going to do it, the space I was going to use, applying for grants and, you know, was I going to have a business partner and I just, you know, you know, you don't know when you have to ask a million times. (laughs) Yeah. In a lot of ways where you're like, what do you think? What do you think? And that's how you know that, you know, the pieces haven't fallen together and now at this time, you know, it's a physical studio. Like we are not really bringing in money, but I have this inner knowing that something is going to come through because we're, um, I already signed the lease before all this stuff happened for our own space via versus the shared space we had. Um, but creating this like vision of this safe space for all people to come together and play and really growing that vision. And it's just, uh, I don't know how it's going to come together, but I know that I've been getting the message that it's time to grow this business and put more energy into it. And before I was like, I don't know where that energy is going to come from. And now here it is. And uh, I'm just going forward and taking all the steps because I know that's the right thing to do. But just comparing that energy of like asking, everybody's opinion versus I'm going to do it and there's I'm going to figure it out somehow (laughs) yeah yeah that's it and that's where the um you know playing it safe is going to be hard if you're practicing tantra because tantra tries well one of the worldviews of tantra is that everything there is no right or wrong it's a worldview that says is it moving towards the light or is it moving towards darkness? And it doesn't judge it. So, I mean, you can make decisions in your life where it pulls you in towards a dark place, but it doesn't mean it's bad or good. It just means, you know, if you really want more light in your life, you might have to work harder to get out of that. And, and then a lot of people associate that with suffering. It's the key about your worldview is if you're in this place, let's say we call it failure, right? Which can feel pretty dark. Like, oh, I went out and I started the studio and took out this loan and we did all this stuff and it's not working the way that I wanted it to. The business plan isn't unfolding the way it's supposed to to make ends meet. And that can create a ton of suffering for people. But Tantra tries to open you to is this is not a bad thing. It's just another way that, you know, the universe, our creative life force, can express itself. Even this too is divine. Even this too is a blessing. Even this too is an expression of all that can be. And if you start to see the inherent divinity in that expression, it can take some of the charge out of the failure out of it and you can start to reframe it. Now, sure, it can be a more challenging time because you have to make decisions. You have, you know, sometimes people, you know, there's a lot of karma that can come out of it. And that's the other piece too is with Tantra, it's like, well, as, as people who are interested in opening up more energy, the more karma you create, like they don't pay bills or there's debt that accrues, it's just going to create a bigger drag on the other things you want to do. So the suffering comes more by the realization of that than that itself. But if you stay true to your intention and you start to see that, well, I have to pay these debts, but it doesn't mean I have to be, my whole sense of self has to be taken down with it. You know, I just got to repurpose my energy towards something that's going to pay these debts. And, you know, that's part of what this karma has produced. Pay them and I'll be free. But it doesn't have to mess with your sense of the light within you. It has nothing to do with it. 
And so many people identify with their worldly accomplishments, but that's what creates that suffering. So again, it's that re-identification of seeing yourself as something bigger, something more um, permanent, not impermanent, like death and worldly things. And that takes some time to cultivate that. And often what we'll see, you know, with ourselves in practice is when times are really good, it's easy to see the world like that. And times are not so great. Nope, there it goes out the window. So the biggest test, I mean, right now in the world today, uh, coronavirus is we're getting tested. What has gotten us to this point? And are we able to sustain a a steady sense of self, a sense of positivity, um, a sense of faith that we can get through it. And if you're really struggling, it's a chance to take a look at, well, what can I change? What can I let go of? Um, and to reduce some fears around uh, how I operate in the world and who I think I am. Yes. And I think too, a part of what I, I absolutely love that worldview and absolutely has reduced a lot of the suffering that I've created in my life is, you know, it's not good, bad, right, or wrong. And, you know, there's the, the parable, I'm not going to go into it, of, oh, that's very good. Well, we don't know. We don't know if it's yeah. good, bad. We don't know where it's leading us. And I really try to adapt that into my whole worldview of, well, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I love, because it's not all or nothing, you know, the context of, oh, I, you know, created this suffering and now I have to be in it. It's how long are you there? And really starting to be softer with ourselves of, you know, it's okay, but are you going to stay there? Do you, and like you led us in the centering is, do we want to amplify that? But we, you know, Mm -hmm. being with it and acknowledging, but also noticing, you know, before maybe I would have been stuck here, but now I know I have Mm -hmm. context that I can feel better if I change this and, you know, energy maintenance, just being about making it easier on ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly the point is, you know, when you think about tantric yoga, you know, we're doing practices that include you know, postures and meditation and breathing and visualization and all these things to help develop that framework of mind. But Tantra as a worldview is really like, when you, you know, what is the result of that? Can you go out into the world and have that sense of stability um, amongst all the chaos? And so, <clears throat> I mean, as a teacher of the system, I mean, there's lots of different things that we can call Tantra, like how you eat and how you align with the divine and um, just there's all these things that are a bigger part of the, the network of what Tantra is. Pretty much anything you do that makes you a better person that you use regularly, that's something tantric. So everybody does something tantric daily. You know, maybe you're like, oh, if I drink coffee, I'm a better person in the world. So that might be your belief. <laughs> and maybe it's actually true. But, um, <laughs> but that's <laughs> something that you rely on. It's a ritual. And so, you know, kind of cutting to the point, like, why is Tantra important in today's world? It's, it's the yoga of rituals. Like, what are the rituals you do daily? Daily. Not every once in a while when you feel bad, but daily to sustain a calm, clear, tranquil mind. You know, so that means it's a cup of coffee for you. Maybe it's tea. Maybe it's hot water with lemon. You know, is it a prayer? You know, before I got on this call, I did a set of mantras to help me to be clear and align with the force within me that's not perturbed or disturbed by the day-to-day stuff. Um, maybe it's certain yoga poses that keep your back comfortable or your hips open. 
Maybe it's, um, you know, what you need to do to eat so your body isn't inflamed and creating a lot of feedback. You know, it's these types of rituals that that provides the landscape for which that higher state of mind to arise regularly. It's when we lose discipline and we get caught up in all the whims of our senses that we lose control. You know, in America, too, I'm just going to call it out that we are very free. We prize our freedom above anything else. We don't want anybody telling us what we can do, what we can think, what we can believe. And yet at the same time, we don't have a lot of discipline. And when we're asked to do something like stay indoors or, you know, don't do this, we want to rebel because it goes against our lifeblood, you know, and even your ancestors will have that energy. We want to get out of this. We can go be free. So it's part of who you are by nature, but you need discipline and a good, healthy way to teach you how to deal with conflict and, and constraint, which is what we're in right now. So if you have a healthy discipline in your life of good, healthy rituals, um, for your practice, then times like this will not feel that different. It's just like, okay, this is just another way for me to practice. I understand that, you know, there's a restraint on everything. So just like a yoga pose, if your body has a limitation and you keep pushing past it, it's going to lead to something possibly worse. And just all of us indoors right now, if we push past it and break these rules, it could lead to something that's worse. So it's like, what, the lesser of two evils, you get to choose how you show up and then learn how to deal with that discomfort. And then can you change the discomfort? And this is where Tantra is very interesting is changing the nature of something, taking, uh, you know, making lemonade out of lemons and saying, I don't like how I feel being inside all day. Well, what if you, you know, a lot of people have been cleaning their house. That's what I've been doing too, just cleaning a different area of my house each day. And next thing you know, you end up with this house that feels open and clean and clear and, the energy that comes, you know, that's that's another expression of Tantra is to recover lost energy by t- attending to the things that you've left untended and going back and looking at it and saying, thank you. Thank you for supporting me, you know, back porch that has all these boxes and things that need to be crushed because you provided a space for something that I couldn't deal with at the time. But now I'm going to clean you up so that you can be that open space for me again. So gratitude is a huge part of these practices too. And honoring the places that we've come from, the shadow part of us, recognizing that without the shadow, there would be no light. And recognizing that the dark parts of us, they're there to keep us real, to keep us um, honed in on what is meaningful for us. You know, if everything was all gravy all the time, life would be very boring. We need a full palette of sensory experiences, different tastes to give us a sense of aliveness and you know I was joking with students a couple weeks ago like I actually thrive in a little bit of chaos you know like when we have these like world events but I get laser sharp and focused really quickly it's when everything is gravy that I can feel more lost um because for right now I don't have a choice it's like I I must practice I must stay focused and it creates a certain level of discipline in me that I actually alike and it helps me um, move through things and you know I also have to take a look at this does that mean I always want conflict in my life and the answer is it's, it's the right kind of conflict and so as the worldview changes in the next few months hopefully that you know we move past this virus and we 
develop new ways to support humanity, hopefully working together and having people in power make choices so that we can not have to have these same fears going forward. It'll be really interesting to see if that happens or not. What is my part in this? And so I'm also looking at myself day to day and looking at what's my takeaway in this? How am I going to stay, keep my energy high? And what if we go on for six more months indoors? How am I going to manage that? And so, you know, it's not like you want to sit and think about everything all the time, but you also have to assess, you know, do micro adjustments in your daily practice to help you navigate what's coming. So for example, like without so much activity, you can feel rested, but some people, based on your constitution, you might start to get dull and you start to lack any kind of initiative. So I can see that with some people. And others might develop, a, just they might just slow down and develop a healthier state of rhythm in their life, which is what I'm hearing from a lot of people. But if it lasts much longer, are we going to go into that opposite slump? And so that's what the, I almost feel like the next wave of healing is going to be. One is slowing down and now is staying positive and motivated to move through that dullness if we get there. I feel that, yeah, and I definitely feel personally in my personal quarantine journey that I'm starting to move through that into the, you know, taking the gems from this and learning from myself and how I react when I, you know, am able to slow down when I do set down everything and how I fill up the space with distraction in so many ways. And now I feel really ready, like grateful to know that about myself. And now I feel ready to step into, okay, how can I spread more love? How can I stand up and be more of who I really am and who I'm meant to be at this time? Mm-hmm. So um, do you have any um, offerings that you have coming up that we can share with the uh, community um, of ways that they they can work with you either online or, you know, potential in person in the future? Do you have anything you want to highlight of ways that people can connect with you? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Um, The one thing that I would encourage people that if you want to know more about Tantra, I'm doing in the summer, so hopefully it will run in person, but it could very well be an online thing too, is uh, it's a course called Tantra Shakti. And I have two different ways it's presented. One is a five-day training, and I think it's, um, hold on, there's my calendar. It's in July. It's July 10th through the 15th. So it starts Friday night, and then it's five full days. Or you can do it in two weekends, that 10th to the 12th of July, and then it'll be the 7th through the 9th of August. So this is the training that Michelle has also done, and it's part of a bigger context of trainings or teachings that comes from the Para Yoga um, curriculum, which is uh, something developed from my teacher, Yoga Rupa, Rod Stryker, but we go deeper into the practice of Tantra Pata Yoga, looking at Tantra worldview, kind of the foundation of it, and then how to practice. And so if that's something that you're interested in, in developing using those tools of yoga, asana, meditation, you know, where to start, where to go, what's, what are the ancients telling us how to practice? So that's an offering. Um, in a couple of weeks, my friend Shanti and I were leading a spring cleanse virtually. 
So um, this will all be recorded so you can get the recordings and do on your own. But we will be live streaming every morning, um, the 13th through the 17th. So it's a Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Uh, a short practice, but just short and sweet. We know people are home with their kids and they got to get their computers open for online school. So we wanted to keep it just totally manageable. But we'll be also uh, giving some support on how to cleanse um, foods, uh, digital detox, baths you can take, like all this kind of cool stuff. We love doing that. We've done this before several times. And other things I'll be leading. Um, I also have a retreat in October. It was supposed to be next week, but we're <laughs> moving it to the end of October the 24th to the 31st. It's called the Clear Vision Retreat, and it's exactly about a lot of the things we've been talking about today. Viveka Shakti, clear seeing. So my friend Paul and I will be leading um, this week in Costa Rica in paradise at the Spirit Retreat, and we'll be doing up to two classes a day, as well as all types of other cool things. You know, there's different, um, if you go to the website, it's clearvisionretreat.com. Um, we just have two rooms left. We might be able to get more, but we just don't know yet based on some of the other groups that have needed to also reschedule. But I'll know more in the next week or two. But um, yeah, practices and support for developing that clear vision and tool that you can take home with you. And also kind of, you know, the other thing that I was just editing that website yesterday is how do we digest this year that we've had by then in late October, you know, we're going to be looking back and be like, holy cow, you know, how did we get through this year? And how do I want to live my next year in 2021? So I think we're repurposing a little bit to kind of rest and digest and then develop, you know, a clear vision for that coming year too. And how do people uh, sign up for the other offerings, the uh, cleanse and the Tantra Shakti? Yes. So I have several websites um, for the school, Yoga, C-E-V-A-N-A-D-I-Y-O-G-A.com. So that has all the offerings from myself um, and guest teachers at Devanati, and then also my name, Tanya Boyganzan, T-A-N-Y-A-B-O-I-G-E-N-Z-A-H-N.com. That has all the things that I'm doing, not only at Devanati, but in the world too. Um, and then I have a Thai yoga bodywork website too, with just the Thai training. So all that stuff should be on any of them. And then one thing I don't have on there yet, but I'm hopefully putting up today or tomorrow, is uh, I do a Wednesday uh, morning class series. So this is something I used to do on Mondays, but I had to move it to Wednesdays. And this is open to anybody, and we have a large group of people who have come for years. But it's usually a two-hour class where we're doing, we're reading some sort of book. And we're doing a practice and we have some time for discussion and sharing. It's just a cool, um, like mini workshop in the week for seekers. Um, so I already know what my theme is. And I'm not going to tell you guys yet. I'm going to put it up there. So look for that too. And that's something you can definitely do virtually too. Yay. I'm really excited to hear what you are going to be offering. And I'm hoping to take the level one and two Thai training um, if that is still happening in July. Oh, good. It's in June. Oh, June. I mean June. <laughs> June. I mean. Yeah, June 10th. I know. Me too. It's in my calendar. I hope so too. Yeah. So we'll be in touch about that. Okay. Hopefully by then we'll be back at it and, you know, living the same life, but in a different way, right? I mean, everybody, um, one thing I think that we're all feeling collectively is that some things will just not be the same. And that can be really 
great and it can be really scary too. So I just want to honor everybody here listening. And if you're experiencing this podcast during this time of quarantine to just recognize that, that loss, that loss of the life we once had and some of the freedoms that we had and the ease, um, you know, hopefully we'll have, as we move forward, a greater respect for things and see that as the trade-off that we become more present to the things that are important and we have our dedication to the, the things that we want to pursue and and protect and you know reframing how we move forward is an important growth process that we just don't go back to the old way we have a chance to you know re uh be rebirthed in a new new unique form mm, yes Yes, absolutely. That is what my hope is for us individually and as a collective at this time to rebirth ourselves through this process. Tanya, thank you so much for taking the time to just talk with us and share all of your wisdom and the centering practice. And I'm just really grateful that, you know, you entered my path and have taught me so much and just continue to be a mentor to me. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michelle. Great to be with you today. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. you so much for listening to this week's episode of the bliss tonic podcast i hope you loved my teacher as much as i do i know that i would not be who i am without her support and guidance over the years if you like this episode click the five star rating or write a review let me know what you think about these episodes and how i can best support you huge thank you to my production manager that's your new title kyle kyle piper let's see where do we want yay kyle thank you so much for all the work that you do to keep this podcast up and rolling thanks for listening have a wonderful day (laughs) 